Hey there, and welcome to Vibrancy with ADHD. Trying to improve our health and wellness with ADHD can feel like an uphill battle. Neurotypical advice tends to be complicated, rigid, and quite honestly, kind of boring. Us ADHDers thrive off of fun and need to be supported by people who just get us and the way our brain works. And most importantly, we need to feel encouraged and inspired instead of shamed. No falling off of any hypothetical wagons here. I'm Chelsea Eithoven and I'm a health and mindset coach who was diagnosed with ADHD at age 30. Stick around and together we can explore, learn, and play our way to a more vibrant lifestyle. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Vibrancy with ADHD. It is your host, Chelsea Eithoven, and why do I feel like such a cheesy, like, game show host when I say it that way? (laughs) I really do. But anyways, welcome back. I have no idea what number this episode is. (laughs) My internet is down right now, and I wrote the outline for this episode in the notes on my phone. And I can't look at my Google Drive to see what number episode I'm on. But you know what? Guess what? We are just going to show up perfectly imperfect. And I'm going to not procrastinate this podcast, even though I really want to. And I feel like I have a lot of reasons to with my internet being down and not knowing the perfect thing and yada yada, not being able to send it immediately after recording it. I'm just going to show up perfectly imperfect and be okay with those imperfections because that is something I am constantly always working on. Just do the thing, even if it's not perfect. (laughs) And also I am later this afternoon getting ready to hop on a plane and go out of town. So I want to get this done before I do that. So here we are, don't know what episode it is, but you probably know what episode it is because it probably says it right there on your screen. So Thank you for listening to my irrelevant ramble for one and a half minutes. (laughs) Okay, so in this episode, we're going to talk about the one thing that my therapist taught me about handling big emotions, the big emotions that come with having ADHD. And I really wanted to share this with you because I know that having access to therapy, having access to affordable therapy, having access to treatment for ADHD in general is not something that everyone has. It really is a privilege. But this information is something that I think everyone can benefit from, but especially people with ADHD. So I wanted to share it with you because it was just such a good tidbit and it's already helped me in so many ways. And I want to give that to you. So we're not going to do a hyper focus of the week this week. We're just going to dive right in, in the name of trying to keep these episodes shorter, (laughs) which is a learning curve for me to not just ramble. Okay. But let's talk about it. What is this strategy? So first of all, let's talk about the big emotions that do come with having ADHD. Okay. So one way that impulsivity can present is how we impulsively act on our emotions. So maybe we like lash out physically or verbally on someone when we feel an emotion that doesn't feel good, such as anger or even embarrassment. I don't know about you, but that's like such a trigger for me (laughs) to feel these big emotions and kind of lash out on someone or something, you know, the drill, right? 
And there's many other ways this shows up too, this, this, these big emotions. And we're going to talk about all the ways that we kind of act out of our emotions in just a moment. And emotional regulation is a big, big part of having ADHD or rather lack thereof of emotional regulation, right? And I have a theory, honestly, and my theory is that this is why a lot of people get misdiagnosed with mood disorders that actually have ADHD. If you remember, I was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was younger, when I was about 23. I can't ever remember the exact age. I don't know, but around that age in my 20s. Yeah, that's just a total side note. But I think that this is why, because sometimes those big emotions are the number one thing that's actually causing a lot of disruption in our life, right? Especially if we are doing things that we don't necessarily have to sit down and focus or we don't have a whole lot of responsibilities yet or things like that. This is going to be the biggest struggle for us is those emotions until we have more responsibilities and have more reasons that we have to sit down and focus and have more things in our life that need to be a little bit more organized, right? So... Like I said, I'm going to share with you this practice today, and it's been such a game changer in handling my big emotions, and I'm still learning it. It's something that I actually have been trying to do for a really long time and have been trying different strategies, but I found this one to make so much sense to my brain and just to, it's been working and I've seen how it's worked, so I knew I had to share it with you guys too. So cultivating the skill that we're going to talk about can improve so many areas of our life. I think we actually really underestimate how much we react from our emotions and we act out of our emotions versus how much we react and act from our logical brain. And of course, if we add, of course, (laughs) of course, if we have ADHD, this is amplified because of our struggles with impulse control, emotional control, and self-control. All of these things are really heavily impacted by having ADHD and are not as strong or as intuitive for us to, to use and have as these things are for people without ADHD, right? Those That impulse control, emotional control, and self-control. Now, as I always say, this doesn't mean that we can't change this about ourselves, right? We always have opportunities to learn and grow and change and transform and develop new skills and learn how to have more impulse control and emotional control and self-control, right? I think it is possible to change no matter what our neurodiversity is or no matter what our circumstance is, right? And that doesn't mean we're going to be able to get perfect at it or that we're going to look, we're going to become neurotypical or anything like that, but growth is possible, right? And you know, something I've been thinking about recently is how I actually in some in some ways am really glad I was diagnosed with ADHD later in life. And this is This is a thought that I've had to, has taken some time to come to this conclusion because at first I felt the opposite. I thought about all of the things that I've missed out on, all of the things that I would have pursued if I 
just knew I had ADHD sooner and had the tools and the support to be able to work through them sooner and just hurry up and get through the struggles and figure out how to manage it easier, right? Or I I just think of all the ways my life would be different if I would have known earlier. And I had a thought that kind of flipped that on its head. And the thought is that I, again, am actually kind of glad I was diagnosed with ADHD later in life at age 30 because not knowing I had ADHD means that I didn't really have anything to attribute my lack of control to, right? My, my, especially my lack of emotional control. And this has always been a really huge struggle for me, the emotional control and these big emotions, that emotional flooding, right? And it's honestly, I've grown a lot in that area, but I still constantly have to work on it. And I still am going to be working on it probably for the rest of my life. And I'm not perfect at it. And I don't think I ever will be right. And that's okay. So this lack of control and this desire to change it from a young age, especially when I was diagnosed with bipolar and I was like, that doesn't feel exactly right. I think I can actually make changes on my own. I think I can learn how to control my emotions a little bit better if I just, you know, do some research and try and see what I can learn, right? So not knowing about ADHD and the desire to change meant that I obsessively researched and tried to learn every way possible that I could improve my levels of emotional control. And I did in many ways. Again, didn't, not perfect, still working on it, still growing a ton, but I did, I I improved. And that led to me becoming obsessed with self-development, right? Because I knew, well, if I could change some small areas of my life, then I think there's more potential here. I, What else can I grow? How else can I improve as a human, right? So I became obsessed with self-development, which led me to prioritize my physical health because we know when we're feeling really good, that's when we have the most opportunity for growth in other areas, right? When we're not feeling good physically, it's really hard to focus on anything else. And that change led me to learning about coaching and what coaching was and becoming a coach myself and also working with a bunch of coaches that helped me develop myself in new ways. And coaching kind of led me to study habit change and the psychology of habit change, right? Which led me to understanding the human brain and being becoming obsessed with that, which led me to mindset work and thought work, which led me to be able to make the changes in myself and my own behavior that I didn't think possible, right? And that now I can teach to others as I continue to refine my own skills. And I kind of thought about it and I thought, you know, if I thought I had AD, if I knew I had ADHD when I was younger, would I have gone all these different routes? Would I have become as obsessed with self-development? Would I have learned all these emotional regulation skills and everything that I've learned in the past, let's say, let's just say seven years. Let's say I was 23 with my bipolar disorder diagnosis. And when I decided that didn't feel right. And, you know, since then, and now I'm 30, let's say the past seven years, what, how different would that road have looked? Again, I don't know. (laughs) And I don't know if I would have been able to, if I would have gone down the same path. And in fact, if I think about what I was arguing before, 
that I, I think my life would look so different that I, in fact, do think I would have gone down such a different road if I was diagnosed with ADHD, which means I wouldn't have learned all these valuable skills. And that just kind of flipped it on its head for me thinking about it this way, because it made me actually appreciative of my journey and appreciative of the things that I have been able to learn because I was diagnosed later in life. So that was truly just a tangent, but one that I thought you might be able to appreciate regardless of when you were diagnosed. But I know I have literally, I don't want to say hundreds because it's probably more like, what is the word for it? Tens, <laughs> you know, like 30, 40, 50, 60, somewhere around there. I'm very bad at estimating numbers, but literally this amount of people in my DMs messaging me about their later diagnosis in life or that they are just now starting to suspect they had ADHD or that they, they, you know, they got diagnosed at 30 and just seeing all the things that I'm saying is helping them so much and all kinds of things. And that, because there's so many people that are kind of in my circle that are dealing with the same thing, that's why I kind of felt called to share this because it can be quite a roller coaster, right? To find out you have ADHD at such a, a late age and just be like, what? It just kind of rocks your world, right? So before we dive into what the actual strategy was and the concept that my therapist taught me, why does learning how to handle these big emotions benefit us? Oh my gosh, in so many ways. This in itself could be a whole friggin' podcast, but I'm just going to keep it short, right? Because like I said before, I think we actually really underestimate how much we are acting or reacting out of our emotions versus our logical brain. So one way we do this is like not, so really just not being aware of how to manage emotions and that we're acting out of our emotions can lead to lots of consequences that aren't necessarily good ones, right? So number one, we could impulsively verbally lash out at someone else, right? Which can lead to damaging relationships, getting fired from jobs, even damaging our personal reputation, right? And impulsively lashing out in other ways other than verbal lashing out, right? Maybe you like lash out physically and you're somebody who's punched a wall or like I admittedly did the other night when I was really angry and slammed the door really loud. You know what? Like I said, I'm not a perfect human and I still react out of emotion sometimes. <laughs> totally did that recently, right? So those, a lot of times when we just impulsively react out of our emotions like that, those, that can lead to negative consequences, right? And then in terms of emotional eating, I think a lot of us think emotional eating is just that experience of eating when you're sad or anxious or upset, right? And this actually isn't the case. And when we become more aware of our emotions and our actions and the connection between our emotions and our actions, then we can see that, yes, sometimes we eat because we feel sad or anxious, right? And want to kind of numb and distract. That is one version of emotional eating. But there are many iterations and versions of emotional eating, right? Sometimes we eat emotionally because like a form of eating emotionally is eating when we're bored. Think about the feeling of boredom. Truly, it's an emotion. It's a feeling inside of us. And we don't think about it that way. But boredom is an uncomfortable emotion or a feeling that we want to get rid of. And one way we can do that is by eating, right? So if we're boredom eating, in my eyes, it's kind of a form of emotional eating or not kind of, it is. And the same thing with a craving. And this is something I know people disagree with and, and that's okay. Okay. It's okay. We don't have to see eye to eye on this, but how I see it is that a craving is also when you respond to a craving, 
every single time, that is a form of emotional eating. Because also think about what a craving feels like. Like just kind of close your eyes and remember what a craving feels like. It's an uncomfortable feeling in your body, right? It's like an itch that we need to scratch. It's this uncomfy sensation that we want to get rid of as soon as possible. And a lot of times we go into unconscious mode and just fulfill a craving and eat the, eat the food that we want, right? And that's a form of emotional eating because you don't like the feeling of the craving. You don't like how that feels in your body and you want to get rid of it. So you're reacting from that emotion. Now, again, this can be feel triggering. This can, you can disagree with this all you want, especially if you come from an anti-diet background or a background of intuitive eating or something like that, which there are concepts, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, there are a lot of concepts that I borrow and that I like from those movements, but I don't fully subscribe to them, right? Because I think that sometimes, yes, you are going to eat the donut and that's awesome, but it doesn't, I don't think that we have to every single time. I think that is a form of emotional eating. And for a lot of us, that's not beneficial to how we're going to feel later, beneficial to our goals every single time, right? You know, again, we can have the donut sometimes and that's always totally fine. But if we have certain goals, succumbing to every craving is not going to be beneficial to us, right? And again, there's going to be disagreements. It's okay. If you want to understand more about this and want to chat about it, I would be more than happy to have a conversation on this topic. It's like my two favorite things combined, right? Talking about like kind of intuitive and all foods fit type situations. And then also understanding cravings and emotional eatings, and then also bringing ADHD. in. if you want to chat about all that stuff, more than happy to come shoot me a DM. I would love that. Bright Light Chelsea on Instagram. Okay. Another way that we can be emotionally eating, we can emotionally eat out of excitement. Like when we're really excited at a party or a get together or out to eat with friends, right? And we're excited. And out of that emotion of excitement, we kind of just say, screw it to the plan we had before. And we just drink all the alcohol drinks, give me all the pina coladas and all the, the Mai Tais and daiquiris, right? And we eat all the pizza, no matter how bad we're going to hurt the next day or later that night, right? Like just feel like, oh, it feels so awful. Why did I do that? That's a form of emotional eating. You get excited and you make a decision out of that emotion of excitement versus your logical brain and what you know will feel better in the long run. Another way that we kind of react emotionally is sometimes we can make really big decisions out of an instance of emotional flooding. And emotional flooding is like, is those big emotions that we experience regularly, right? And and even RSD, which I will do a completely separate episode on RSD. If you don't know what it is, we'll do another episode on it, but it's rejection sensitive dysphoria. I believe it's dysphoria. I can't remember exactly at this moment, something I need to do a lot more research on actually, but it's a big topic that I haven't researched a whole lot yet. So I'm not going to tackle it now, but sometimes we make big decisions out of this emotional flooding or RSD, right? So a big decision that we might decide that we might make out of our emotions is to break up with a significant other because we feel intense emotions in that moment, right? And you're going to feel intense emotions in every relationship, no matter how perfect it is. That's just the truth of the matter, right? Or sometimes we we make an impulsive decision out of excitement, right? Like we make a big purchase that isn't really financially smart for us at that moment. 
And oh Lord, I've been there too many times to count. In fact, all these situations, I've been in all of these situations too many times to count. The emotional eating, making big decisions, verbally and physically lashing out, all of these things. And it has negatively affected me. So now we can kind of see, this is just the tip of the iceberg, but we can kind of see how many different ways emotions actually do affect our actions and our lives. And we likely didn't even realize it, right? And that is why this one tactic was just so mind-blowing to me and was so valuable and I think is going to be so valuable for you too if this is something you struggle with. So here it is. We have finally gotten there 20 minutes in. Let's talk about the strategy. The strategy and the concept she taught me is that I could have an emotion be present without acting from that emotion. And I know it sounds so basic and some of you are going to be like, but some of you are going to be like me and be like, wait, duh, like that makes so much sense. Why did I never think about that before, right? (laughs) So let's break this down, okay? And how do we do this and... What does it look like in real life? I'll break it down. I actually kind of mentally broke this down into three steps just because for me, logically, this is what made sense. And I think this is the best way to explain how to use it in action, okay? So the three steps of being able to have your emotion present with you without actually acting from that emotion are number one, notice, number two, pause, and number three, decide, Notice, pause, and decide. Okay, notice. So first, we've got to be able to notice when we are having emotions and when we are about to react from our emotion versus reacting from ourselves and our logical brain. So my therapist explained it like this, and I loved this so much. She said, like, it's like I'm driving the car, right? I'm driving a car. I'm by myself. And when an emotion arises from whatever the situation, the emotion is present, right? It's in the passenger seat. It's sitting in the passenger seat and I'm driving the car. Now, when an emotion is there with me in the car, I can decide whether or not I want to let that emotion stay in the passenger seat and just be present there with me or let that emotion hop in the driver's seat and decide and make decisions for me and react through that emotion. So basically just me along for the ride, letting the emotion drive the car, right? I get to decide which one I want to choose, right? And that takes the skill that noticing that you'll you, you'll have to be able to separate yourself from the emotion, right? And be able to say, wait, this isn't me. This is an emotion that I'm feeling. And you'll only be able to separate yourself from that emotion when you can start noticing it and feeling it. And honestly, this to me is the hardest part. Once you can notice it and you can catch it in the moment is when you'll be able to do the other two steps really easily. But it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice and a lot of perseverance to even be able to notice the emotion in the moment, right? A lot of times later you'll notice, ooh, I reacted out of that emotion, right? And it takes a lot of practice to be able to be conscious enough to notice it when it hits, right? And when it's there and before you react from the emotion. And a lot of times we do, we feel like we are the emotion. Even the language we use, we say, I am angry, right? I am sad. I am depressed or whatever it is. But no, you are not. You are a human experiencing an emotion, right? You are two separate things, you 
and the emotion. And it is possible to have the emotion be present in your body and be feeling it without acting from that emotion. Okay, so noticing is first. And again, honestly, this takes the longest time to be able to do. And once you can do this, the rest will be a cakewalk. So you feel the emotion and you kind of identify what it is, right? That's the noticing piece. P.S. If you have trouble identifying your emotions and kind of putting them into words, I'm going to link a tool that I use all the time with clients and that I use all the time for myself that has helped me be able to put emotions into words. And it's called the Wheel of Emotions. It is so helpful because it's a wheel of, it starts with like the big emotions that we always use, right? So in the middle, it says like happy, sad, angry, whatever. And then it kind of goes out into more and more words to describe and kind of get more specific of what you're feeling, right? So in the angry section, or like, what's one? I think one is like worried or nervous. I can't remember. And then in there, it's like, do I feel fearful? Do I feel embarrassed? Right? It gets really specific and it makes it so much better. It's so much easier to identify your emotions and find words for them. So I'm going to link that so that you can use that if this is something you struggle with too. I literally pull it up on a daily basis when I'm feeling something and I can't quite identify it and I kind of want to unpack it. It's so helpful. So I'll link that so you can kind of use that if it's helpful to you. But it's helpful to be able to just verbalize something more than just saying it's good or bad, right? Okay, so that is noticing the emotion. Next is pause, okay? So this is the... I said that notice is the hardest part. Notice, okay, noticing is the hardest part to kind of get the hang of. The pause is the hardest part to be able to implement, okay? So, because you're going to want to react immediately from that emotion. That is just human nature to feel the emotion and want to react immediately, right? This is actually like what our brain is wired to do, react from that emotional place. So being able to pause though, when you feel the emotion, you pause, You identify the emotion, you mentally separated yourself from it, and then you've got to just wait. You've got to wait a little bit. And I don't know a a specific amount of time that you have to do this. I think it varies, right? But you pause before you do anything, right? And you might be thinking, how can I do this in conversation that's happening in the moment, right? I think, and actually my therapist said this too, that like you can verbally express that to this person, right? You can say, if you're in a conversation and it's something that you feel can't wait, it always can, right? You can say to the person that you're having the interaction with, I'm feeling a big emotion right now and I feel like I'm going to react in a way that I don't want to. So I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to step away. I'm just going to take a moment to gather myself and then we can continue this in just a few moments. Easy as that, right? And if you are able to pause, then you'll be able to kind of make the decision from you instead of the emotion. And again, the way my therapist explained it was that she said the part of our brain that reacts emotionally and the part of our brain that reacts logically are two different parts, which as you know, neuroscience is my jam. So like anytime we start talking about the brain, I'm in, I'm excited, I'm invested, right? So the emotional part of the brain that reacts lightning speed, super quick, right? So that's why we have that tendency to jump on it and react immediately, no matter what it is, what the emotion is and what the reaction is. That one's super fast. But it takes the logical brain a minute to catch up and be like, wait a second. Okay, yes, this is my immediate reaction and that's an option. But I do have other options here too, right? And and if I pause, then you can let the emotion kind of hang out there and be there and feel it and be okay with feeling it. But wait a moment to react and say, how do I want to react, right? 
wait a moment to react. You just pause until that logical brain catches up and gives you a few more options for how you can react, right? And then the third step we did, we noticed, we paused, and now you get to decide. Decide is the third step. Are you going to stay in the driver's seat and make a choice from your logic? Or are you going to let the emotion get in the driver's seat and make the decision for you and, and react from that emotion and make a decision from that emotion? And here's what I want to say. Honest, when I want to say, honestly, neither choice is bad, right? Nothing is inherently bad because we don't know what the situation is, right? There will be times when you want to make the choice to react from your emotions. (laughs) And sometimes that's going to be okay. And sometimes it's going to be appropriate. And sometimes it's going to be great and have good consequences. And sometimes not so much, right? But that's where there's a difference, right? Is that now it's a conscious choice, not an immediate impulsive reaction, And that is super powerful, so powerful, right? You get to choose now. You have other options. And sure, you can choose the self-destructive option that you have chosen previously, but you also have other options and you don't have to, right? Sometimes we feel like uh, when we react out of our emotions, we feel like we had no choice in that matter and we feel bad and we feel embarrassed because we're like, gosh, I shouldn't have done that, right? But you didn't have to. If you can cultivate this skill and practice it, you can you can make that choice for yourself, right? And if we have ADHD, when we have ADHD and we're able to practice this skill, this is a superpower. This is like a serious superpower, right? Because this is something we struggle with so much. And a lot of us don't know that we have the ability to do this and, and cultivate this skill and practice it. But we do. We do. We can learn any skill, just like I talked about in the the moderate the episode about moderation. We can learn how to eat in moderation. We can learn how to not react from an emotional place. We can learn how to do things that benefit our future self, not just our right now self. Even though these are all the things that when people talk about ADHD, they talk about us not being able to do. In my opinion, they're the things that we're not inherently able to do, but that we can learn to do. And that we can learn to manage and get better at, even if we're not perfect at it, right? So I want to give an example for my real life, okay? I got a text the other day. (laughs) I was driving and I was at a stoplight and I glanced at my screen and I saw this text that said, you're ignoring me with one million exclamation points. Not really one million, but you know, I'm being exaggerative here. And immediately right off the bat, like I was filled with, I was in a great mood before that, okay? But I read those words, you're ignoring me on my screen. And I was immediately filled with defensiveness and anger and like honestly resentment, right? Like I, my thoughts were like, you don't know what I'm juggling right now. I have so much that I'm doing right now. Like my life is so crazy. I'm trying to do a million things and you know, yada, yada, yada. And my brain just like immediately like went off on this emotional reaction that I wanted to text, right? Like you, I have 150 unread texts right now. It's everything isn't about you. I don't have time to handle my text. By the time I get to the end of the day, I'm so overloaded and yada, yada. My emotional brain center was going crazy with all of these things that I wanted to say and that I had to make my point because I was like so defensive and angry and resentful. And I wanted them to know exactly what I was experiencing and like do it in an aggressive way, right? This was my immediate reaction. I felt it. I I was able, this was actually the first time I was able to do this 
really, really well in terms of my relationships, right? So I've practiced this skill in terms of eating food and and my emotional eating, and I hadn't really practiced it a whole lot in relationships in other areas. So this this experience was so like stood out my mind so strongly because it was the first time I was actually able to catch myself. I wanted to pick up my phone and start sending a text with that stream of thoughts that I just shared with you. (laughs) But instead, I caught myself. I paused. I, I, I noticed. Sorry, I skipped a step. I noticed. I noticed. I'm feeling this reaction. I'm feeling this emotion. What emotion am I feeling? And it's a good thing I was driving also because I think that helped me pause because the light turned green and I literally couldn't react at that moment. And I think that was that helped tremendously. But I I caught myself that time. And so it was awesome. And I I paused or <laughs> I keep saying the wrong one. I noticed the emotion and then I decided to pause. And I paused and I said to myself, okay, I'm feeling this emotion. It's present here with me. I'm in the car. The emotion's in the passenger seat. I feel it in my body. I feel it a lot. Do I want to let this emotion get in the driver's seat, right? And while I was pausing was what I was thinking about. And I was like, what would the benefit of that be? Mm, Not so good, right? So I said, no, I don't want to let this get into the driver's seat. I want to react from my logical brain. So I just kind of waited and honestly, I like to wait until the emotion kind of passes if that's an option or if it's lessened and is not an inte- as intense, right? You can let it be there for as long as it wants to be there. It will eventually dissipate. That's another thing to know about emotions. They will always eventually dissipate. So I waited uh, and I waited. And after about five minutes, I was like, okay, you know what? I want to respond from a more logical place. So this is when I decided. I decided I wanted to respond from my logic, not my emotion. And when I got to my destination in a really logical and calm manner, I texted the person and I I told them why I hadn't been texting very calmly and said, I'm really, I just said, said what was going on and said, I'm sorry, I'll get back to it as soon as I can. You know, I'm trying and whatever, very logical and calm. And guess what? The person responded and said, that's fine. No worries. Just get back to me when you can. What? Now I'll let you know this person, this was a person that I've had many volatile interactions with and I react really emotionally and this person does back and like it ends up in this big power struggle and this big explosion of emotions, right? And this has happened so many times with this person. That was our dynamic. So having this new skill of just being able to notice, pause and decide literally has the power to change my entire relationship dynamic with this person, which is huge. A lot of times we think this isn't possible, right? That we can't change the way that our relationships are, right? Oh, that's just the way they are. Oh, that's just the way I am. It's not necessarily true. Everything can change, right? And that, my friend, is the strategy I wanted to share with you today. And again, not everyone has access to affordable therapy or therapy in general. And that's why I thought this was so important to share with you because if you can use this and change just one part of your life that is maybe doing not so good because of your emotional reactions, then to me, it's worth it, right? Everyone should be able to benefit from this information, especially humans with ADHD. 
So if you found this episode to be helpful, share it on your stories on Instagram and tag me at Bright Light Chels. Or if you're not into sharing things on your stories, then maybe just shoot me a message. I love to know that you're listening in and finding value. And I especially know like to know what particular episodes you're listening to. So if you just message me and say, hey, I just listened to the episode about the emotional, big emotions with ADHD and I'm going to try this or I tried it and used it here and it was so helpful. Oh, it just makes my day and it, it reminds me that I'm bringing value, right? I just love to know that you're listening in. I love to meet you and connect with you guys. Truly, truly, since I've started saying that, I've started getting a lot of messages from people and it makes me so happy. I can't, I can't explain it enough because these podcasts take a lot of time and effort and, and thought to cultivate into something that's actually valuable for you. So to know that you're enjoying it and, and getting value out of it makes me so much more motivated to keep going as long as I can and put out as much free content as possible because I know it's being, it's helpful to some people. And on the topic of this, this podcast, we talked a little bit in the middle about emotional eating. And if emotional eating is something you struggle with and you need support getting under control, this is one of the many things we work on inside the Habit Edit. And reminder, the Habit Edit is the first health and mindset coaching membership just for women with ADHD. It's designed, the content is for women with ADHD, all of the struggles that we we work through are things that specifically people with ADHD tend to really struggle with. Not only that, the structure is also made to, to kind of also combat the struggles that we normally have in coaching programs with ADHD, right? Like we freaking, we can't handle intense accountability and like, like our RSD flares up when we're like told what to do, right? But we need more accountability gentle accountability. We need support, right? We also get bored with programs. I've designed it in a way that it doesn't get boring, right? It keeps things interesting. There's always newness and novelty. And also I've designed it in a way that people with ADHD will be able to honor their ebbs and flows, right? So being consistent looks different for us. This program honors that and you're never behind. You're never, you know, like, like, feel embarrassed that you didn't do what you were supposed to do because we all understand we all get it we're all ADHD women and habits look different for us so if this is something you're interested in doors are not open yet but they will be soon so I put the link to the wait list in the show notes go ahead and hop on the wait list because if you're on the wait list you will not only be the first to know when doors open and therefore be able to stag your spot ASAP <laughs> because I am only for the first month of the program I'm not letting in a ton, a ton of people because I've never done a program with a ton, a ton of people. And so I want to make sure I can manage the amount of people I have. So the first month will be limited entrance. So you'll be the first to know. And as well as you'll get a little discount, even though it's already insanely affordable for a coaching program, like insanely affordable for a coaching program. So that is the habit edit link in the wait list. And being on the wait list doesn't mean you are required to join. It just means you're going to get that information and then you can decide to join if you want to. Right. All right. And that is all for today, my friends, my ADHD besties. I hope that you have a glorious day and I will talk to you next time on vibrancy with ADHD.